Hello and welcome to a little R&R, the movie podcast where we review and recommend films in theaters and at home. Come with us as we help you separate the crap from the quality. I'm Maureen. And I'm Becca. Thanks for joining us. Broadway sensation Hamilton um, (laughs) is now on Disney+, Plus, which is kind of funny because... uh, the last week Lin-Manuel Miranda was playing Hamilton, people paid about $10,000 per ticket. Oh my god. And then now to think that it's free on Disney Plus and you can see him do it for basically free. <laughs> I wonder if those people are mad or if it was, like, worth it to see it live. Because, you know, like, some stuff's worth it to see it live. But, like, ten grand, that's a down payment on a house you paid to see a performance that is now free on yeah. Disney+. Plus. I would be a little salty about it, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so but what'd the, you the think? flip... Uh... I so I liked it. Uh, so I've mentioned this before. I'm not like a big. Fa- I mean, I I like theater. I enjoy it. You know, when I see it like once every five years or something. Uh, it's uh-huh. one of those things where it's so demanding of your energy, um, and it's usually much <laughs> longer than uh, you know, like a cinematic film. That it's With just like that after clapping. a while, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know they just are <laughs> asking just way too one. much of me, guys. <laughs> but uh, it's oh, uh, it's different. It just doesn't hold my attention well for very long, especially if it's a musical, because I'm like, it's just people singing for three hours, um, and I'm not a huge like musical person or like concert goer or anything. So, mm-hmm. um, but anyway. All that to say is, I did still enjoy it. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I uh, watched um, the first half uh, yesterday, and then uh-huh. I was kind of burnt out. So I was like, "All right, we're gonna end at intermission and pick it up tomorrow morning." <laughs> um, <laughs> so I did that, and it was uh, it was good. Um, but uh, I really, I really loved. Um, the non-traditional, like, Broadway music that they had, because they had R&B, they had hip-hop. Um, mm-hmm. It was uh, it was really cool, and I really liked... Um, and, as you said, they mentioned it in the behind-the-scenes that they do at the end of that. Um, you know, they, like, mentioned how, like, diverse it is, and I thought it was really cool how they didn't, like, cast like, George Washington and Jefferson as, you know, like, uh, white guys. They just cast guys, you know, Mm -hmm. and whoever was auditioning and whoever was the best was getting it not based on, well, how well do you look like George Washington or Jefferson or Hamilton? Uh, So it was uh, was really cool to see that. Uh, So it was, like, such a diverse group of people portraying, you know, the founding fathers and, uh, you know, just like the, the uh, um, beginning to end of the revolution and then obviously Hamilton's life. Uh, it was really cool and uh, not something that I have seen before. Uh, so I really appreciated everything that they uh, did to make uh, the show not only, you know, like more appealing to watch, 
um, and listened to, uh, but it was also just, like, uh, something completely new, so I think they had a good thing going with it, and it's really cool. Yeah. I, I also really liked it. I, I mean, everybody's been hearing about Hamilton since, what, 2016, when this first came out, um, and it kind of passed me by a little bit, like, I never listened to the, um, the cast recording, I never listened to the soundtrack for it or anything, because I was just like, oh, you know, Hamilton musical, like, I, I like musicals, but I don't seek them out as much anymore, Mm -hmm. generally, um, like, I grew up as a musical theater kid, I know musicals, but if I'm sitting at home, I'm not putting on the soundtrack to Annie or (laughs) Into the Woods or shit like that, like, I like old Hollywood musicals better, because I like people tap dancing, so I like, like, old Fred and Ginger movies and shit like that, Mm -hmm. um, movie musicals lately just kind of make me sad, because, (laughs) because (laughs) they, uh, they go for star power over the actual talent. Mm. Um, for example, Into the Woods is a extremely difficult show to do. The music in that is insane. And they went for people who were going to get butts in the seats rather than people who could actually sing it. Yeah. Um, same with Les Mis. Ooh, don't get me started on Les Mis. Um, <laughs> and, like, there's certain movie musicals where it doesn't really matter, like, Mamma Mia's a jukebox musical, you're singing fucking ABBA songs, like, nobody cares if you can sing ABBA really well, but, <laughs> um, cer- certain musicals do take actual talent, and generally Hollywood just goes, well, Hugh Jackman can sing, so he must be right for Jean Valjean, right? And it's like, no, that's not even in his range. So, just in general, movie musicals make me sad. Um, And I I do wish they did this more often. Like, just tape the stage show. Mm -hmm. People would actually pay... Like, if you said Hamilton is going to be on Amazon for 20 bucks and you can watch it, I would pay that. Mm -hmm. If they had, like... Because they actually do film every stage show that goes on Broadway. They're all in the Library of Congress. You can see... um, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so they already do this with every stage show that goes to Broadway. Mm-hmm. So I really don't understand why they don't just wait for it to finish out its run. You're not going to make any more money off of it, so put it on Amazon and people can pay 20 bucks a pop, 30 bucks a pop, who cares, just actually watch it. Mm-hmm. Like, I would so much rather they did that for, like, the original cast of Wicked, with, mm-hmm. like, Adina Manzel playing Alphaba. Like, if they actually were just like, hey, we're going to put Wicked on Amazon and you could watch the original Broadway cast for 20 bucks, I would so much rather do that than see what... I'm sure they're going to eventually do a movie musical version of it. And it's just like, I... It's going to... It's not going to compare to the actual show... So I I hope that this does really well. I'm sure it will. I'm sure everybody I know has already watched it. But, like, Mm -hmm. I hope this does well enough that 
Disney or whoever the fuck is like, hey, why don't we just do this more often? Yeah. Because, like, we're actually lucky enough to live close enough in New York City where going to the city is sort of an option. It's still expensive as fuck, but, like, there's people living around the world who will never get to see a Broadway show. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I, I just hope that this does well enough that they take it into consideration, you know? Mm-hmm. Of how these shows are actually supposed to be consumed, because they're not films. That Like, the perfect example is the Cats movie that I didn't oh, watch, but, <laughs> but I know a lot about it through osmosis, and it's just like, that musical existed at a time where Broadway was all about the spectacle. And, and that show's not meant to be a movie, it's meant to be theater. It's supposed to be, like, interactive. Those cats are supposed to come through the audience. Like, Mm. everything doesn't translate to another medium. And so I feel like this is doing a better service than if they had tried to make it into a movie. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? Like, try and put it in a general narrative and film it like a a piece of cinema. I, I think they were much smarter doing Hamilton this way. Yeah, I agree. Plus, uh, you know, the main uh, pull and uh, appeal to me about anything that's a live performance is the rush you get watching um, these people portraying, you know, these stories, telling these stories um, live right in front of you. So everything you feel is such a rush because uh, for me, it's like a lot of it is like secondhand uh, nerves, like, oh, my God, please don't mess up. Please don't mess up. But uh, a lot of it too is just, I mean, when it's uh, when it's live, you're feeling that live energy, and mm-hmm. it's not like something that uh, you know gets recorded, you know, gets a million takes, and uh, then gets you know like days in a you know editing booth and gets auto tuned and shit. Um, <laughs> and also when it's like a filmed musical, and they're like, but we're gonna sing it live and I'm like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard because it (laughs) still ends up sounding like shit because the majority of these actors as as like much as they try and they definitely give and I'm not saying they're not talented in singing but they weren't they're not students of theater theatrical singing you know it's very different than like pop singing like you're you're hitting notes and everything in just such different ways um so to have it filmed versus live you're just losing every reason to have it sung live on screen you know like when Mm -hmm. they're like in Les Mis oh yeah we sang a lot of it live and studio recorded it and I'm like then how come it still sounds like shit? <laughs> like I get, I get that they're like trying to do like the the live feel, but I'm like, but you're also mixing studio and you're still editing things. It just, I just just sound booth, all of it, all of it sound yeah. booth. There's no reason to try and do this like live thing. It's just not the same because the re how you get that live performance feeling is when you're in the room with them. And uh, that's Mm -hmm. not to say you don't get that by watching, obviously, Hamilton, because that was recorded live. So what you're seeing is, you know, their live reactions and obviously performance overall. 
um, and you're getting that energy, even though, you know, obviously it's, you know, still through a screen, you're closer, you know, than you would have been, you know, if you were in the audience. So to like see them sweating on stage, to see them like working <laughs> with the, uh, the moving floor that they had, they had, um, uh, oh, that was so two, cool. yeah, that I, I didn't realize it until a little bit into it that they were using it because they did it so subtly and so clean. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, there is uh, two uh, sections of the floor that are circular. So it's a small circle and then an outer circle. And both of them can rotate to give the illusion of like people moving across the stage, passage of time. Um, it's really cool effect. Um, so to have that, like, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, um, a lot of things that happen visually, um, in the storytelling of a stage play that happens the way it does because of the limitations they have. So when you're trying to adapt it to screen, sometimes you're just kind of losing, you know, a really cool effect, you know? Yeah. So You don't that's... have to be as creative because CGI and special effects can fill in those gaps. Yeah. So, like, for example, in um, the oldest sister's song, Angelica, uh-huh. um, like, there's she's doing a toast at the wedding, and then the time kind of rewinds to back yeah. when she first met Hamilton. And that was such a cool stage effect, but if it had been a movie, they would have just rewound the footage, and it wouldn't have been as impressive, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree. It's You lose something when you have the, the magic of modern filmmaking, unfortunately. Yeah. Because it's like, uh, I mean... This is uh, something that, like, technically doesn't need to exist anymore. It exists because, obviously, there's still, like, a lot of attraction to it. People like a live performance. Uh, and it's, a, you know, a, a cheaper way of putting on a production than doing, you know, like, a, a film every time you have a cool idea for a play or a musical and whatnot. Um, but also, it's you know, it's like... they. Like, Lin-Manuel, obviously, like, at this point in his career, probably could somewhat easily get funding if he was like, oh, I want to, you know, like, I have this uh, brand new organic idea for a musical, let's make it, uh, you know, like a film, you know, from scratch, you know, so it's like he could do that, but it's like, but you can tell the same story in a really cool artistic way on screen or on stage that just brings a whole different feeling to it than if you were to just like from scratch do like a, a film because it's it's like well you kind of you kind of give more like lee, leeway to uh, shortcomings. Uh, that come with the stage versus the screen because, you know, very often we're like, oh, well, that effect was shit or, well, why didn't they do it this way or whatever, you know. But mm-hmm. when you're watching them and you've seen how they've, like, creatively over overcome the limitations of the stage, uh, it just, it really adds a lot to it. Um, and I get, I'm sounding a bit redundant now, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. Like, 
for example, the... Have you seen Phantom of the Opera? Yes, I've seen a live performance uh, on Broadway and also the uh, the original film with Jared Butler and Emmy Robinson. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like when that chandelier falls and you're in the audience, that mm-hmm. is a huge moment, you yeah. know? Like that is a show-stopping moment. But then and you it's watch it in the movie. Fear. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like genuine oh, fear. Shit. Like it could go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, when you see that in the movie, it's just like, oh, okay, the chandelier fell. Like, it's just another movie moment Uh that doesn't have that impact, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I I think you do lose something in the translation when when you go from stage to cinema. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it works better with, like, smaller movie or smaller musicals, like, um, like for example, The Last Five Years, which was a movie that came out a couple of years ago with Anna Kendrick. It was an adaptation of, like, a small Broadway show that's basically got two characters who just sing. And I thought that one was very successful because the stage show is so stripped down that turning it into a movie you don't lose all that much. Mm-hmm. But there's certain Broadway shows, like, for example, The Lion King, you can't do that show as a movie unless you were going to tape the stage show, because you can't have fucking puppets. Like, be, be, right, like, they're better it, off just it, animating that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I don't know, I, I think this was the smartest way to do it. And they're probably a lot cheaper than, like, getting the whole cast back together and trying to film it as a as a film version. Well, that's another thing, need- too, is when they do the adaptations, I don't... I, I think very rarely do they ever pull from, like, original Broadway cast. I mean, at least not for the big names. Like, they mm-hmm. grab Gerard Butler, who is not known for his singing... <laughs> and Emmy Emmy Rossum, who does sing very well, she, I think she was classically trained. I could be pulling this out of my ass, but I think I heard her say mm-hmm. that. Um, but uh, you know, it, it it was just like what? And then the guy who played Raoul, her boyfriend, husband, guy Patrick Wilson, yeah, who is again not a singer. Uh, he sounded nice, but. I mean, these were definitely just, uh, you know, like, who's going to get butts in the seats? Like, no, oh, no one's going to want to watch this if they're, you know, they're, I, I get, like, the appeal because they're crossing genres or, you know, mm-hmm. mediums or whatever. So you're trying to appeal to the, the movie buffs by grabbing people that the, you know, that who are deep in the film, you know, world will recognize, like Emmy Rossum and Gerard Butler. So if you're like, oh, there's a Phantom of the Opera movie. I don't know any of these people. It says they're all on Broadway. Uh, I don't really like Broadway. I don't really like plays and musicals. So uh, maybe not. Yeah. Um, so trying if, to appeal to yeah. a, like a wider audience as opposed to just the Broadway crowd, which is not that big. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so if they can win over more people versus like the very small. A group of like Broadway enthusiasts and Broadway snobs, um, then uh, I I definitely understand 
the yeah the drive to appeal to the larger demographic but still yeah yeah well it's funny because like everybody in hamilton not everybody in hamilton but a large amount of the cast like no idea who they were before this show but like lin-manuel miranda is now like most people know his name mm-hmm. um david diggs who was lafayette slash uh, Jefferson, he was in like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I've seen him him in a bunch of stuff now. I, I feel like the only person who was well known before Hamilton blew up was actually Jonathan Groff. Yeah, <laughs> I saw him because he was, I was on... like, "Is that Jonathan Groff?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my mom didn't even notice it was him until like the second time he came out. She's like, oh, it's Kristoff. And I'm like, yeah. But, like, he was on Glee and stuff, so people knew, like, at the time, I think he probably was the biggest name in this, and he has, like, three scenes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting that now you could do a movie with with them, and Mm -hmm. that they'd be a draw now. Yeah. Whereas when Hamilton first first started if they had immediately been like, hey, let's make a movie of this, nobody would have known anybody in this. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. There's uh, a little more cross-contamination <laughs> going on now, <laughs> I guess. With, at least with Hamilton, because everybody kind of blew up after it. Um, I think what's so interesting about this show is you take, in the American school system, you take about six years of American history. Like, we focus a lot on American history in our history classes. I didn't know most of the stuff that happened in this show. Yeah. Like, I know um, Alexander Hamilton was a guy. Aaron Burr, I don't really remember ever learning about. Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously I knew who George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, obviously. But, like, who? most <laughs> of the sh- <laughs> most of the shit in this show, like, we didn't learn in school. And, like, obviously the more racy stuff, like, oh, he had an affair and had to pay $1,000 in hush money. Like, mm-hmm. obviously we weren't going to he- learn about that. But, like, I don't remember most of this stuff. I didn't even know Aaron Burr was a vice president. Uh, I don't think he was. I think he just ran. He was, yeah. Oh, he was? For Jefferson? For Jefferson's, Jefferson's first term, oh. he was uh, his VP, because how it used to work was... Yeah, the runner-up. The runner-up got to be VP, as opposed to having a running mate. But yeah, he only served for one one term with Jefferson. Mm. Yeah, so like, you don't learn any of that shit in school. Yeah, the only reason I knew what I knew about Hamilton, which was mostly just about the affairs, um, his, like, uh, closeness with Washington, and uh, uh, his, like, habit of dueling people constantly. (laughs) Um, I I learned that because my dad is actually a historian and uh, a history teacher. So well, I, I would get the random facts. So yeah, I uh, I knew all about the I knew all about the hush money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think it would be, like, Broadway musical material, but it really right. works. I guess at this point you can do a Broadway musical about anything. Like, that. As long as you have Lin-Manuel writing it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My only uh, thing with uh, the, like, musically was uh, it was at times very hard to not only understand, but also just follow what was happening in the songs, (laughs) just because of how fast they were laying down lyrics. Like, it was just, I I mean, they must have had to do, like, intense tongue twister exercises all the time (laughs) in preparation for these, because... Um, I know, and uh, the um, character of Angelica had, like, a serious rap for a minute, and I was like, Jesus Christ, I was like, how are you no. able to get through this? Um, and More then than just, that, like, how do they even remember all those lyrics, I know, you know, that's what I was thinking. Like, I was like, these are more words than I knew existed. Because <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> it's not even just having to memorize lines, you have to... Mm-hmm memorize rap songs that you then have to say at incredible speeds. Like, David Diggs' Lafayette is just, like, going off, and you're just like, how did you... And he's doing it in a French accent. I I was gonna say, and in a French (laughs) accent. I was like, oh my god. Oh my god, yeah. I I personally feel like he stole the show. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed his performance. Between him as Lafayette and then him coming back as Jefferson, like, he was constantly my favorite part. Yeah. And, like, Thomas Jefferson was kind of an asshole, but so was Hamilton. Like, they're all... Yeah. That's the thing, like, the more you, like, learn the history of, like, historical figures, you always find something about them. I mean, there are always, always redeeming qualities, always really bad qualities, too, but... Yeah. You're like, oh, well, third president of the United States, but was also a slave owner. Yeah. And was apparently really fine with being that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. I uh, I didn't know much about um, Hamilton's wife, so that was uh, cool that they gave her, um, like, just, like, a bunch of, like, historical facts at the end. Just They just, like, dropped a bunch of knowledge about her right. and what she did for the rest of her life. I was like, Jesus Christ, give her a musical. <laughs> right. Like, it's like at the, at the end of, like, a, a 90s movie where they'd be like, and then Bobby Joe grew up and got... <laughs> Three tractor stores. He lives with in Wyoming with his two wives. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, at the end of a movie, they do, like, yeah. still screens and then give you a bunch of facts about where that fucking person ended up. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that's how the show ended? <laughs> right. Like, in a, a freeze frame, and here's a bunch of facts about Eliza Hamilton. <laughs> but... Yeah. I I do think it was interesting that Lin-Manuel Miranda's kind of the weakest part of the show. Yeah. I like, mean, performance-wise. Yeah, he kind of yeah. openly admits it, that he basically writes musicals because nobody else would cast him in musicals. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but now he's getting cast with, like, Mary Poppins and shit. But, like, 
to begin with, he's not that strong of a singer that people would cast him to be on Broadway if he wasn't the one writing and producing the show. Yeah. Which, I mean, I get if you're that gifted of a, like, a lyricist, you know, it's like you want to sing your own work, you know, and I would, I would say he's not, I'm going to sound like I'm dropping a lot of shade. (laughs) I really like (laughs) Lin-Manuel, and I still think that he did a great performance, but there were definitely times where I was like, oh, that's right, and I have, you know, like, I start remembering Mary Poppins and thinking to myself, yeah, he really wasn't a good singer in that either. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, (laughs) right, I'm going to, we're going to be hearing a lot of Lin-Manuel singing in this. (laughs) Yeah. But like uh, not I bad. A, exactly, TV. he's not he's, bad. The problem is, it's just he sings in like a, a higher and like a, like scratchier pitch. It just mm-hmm. makes it a little bit difficult to listen to sometimes. I mean, <laughs> I, I I think compared to everybody else on the stage, yeah, it, it's more noticeable than if he was just like singing at home by himself. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, if yeah. you just heard him on the street, you wouldn't be like, oh, can he stop singing? But, like, right. when he's on a stage with all these extremely talented people, you're just like, yeah. Maybe go back to the rapping? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he, he wasn't bad, but, like, I do think he's actually the weakest part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's kind of interesting that. He's uh-huh. carrying the show. One thing I also noticed was <laughs> in the background, or even not in the background, when he, other people are singing, you can see him having, like, a proud dad moment. Yeah. There was one point where Angelica and Eliza were holding his hands and singing at him, and he just looked like a dad whose daughters were winning a beauty right. pageant. Like, he just looked so <laughs> proud that they were singing so well in his face. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that's what Hamilton was supposed to be conveying at that point. But, uh, yeah, he just had, like, a proud dad face on a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm just like, you remember you're supposed to be acting, right? (laughs) 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 Whoops. And that's, like, so sweet, too. And that's, you know, something else about live performances is that, you know, it's like there's so many emotions flying because you're constantly, you know, like, uh, switching back and forth between, like, super dramatic, intense, or just happy scenes. And uh, you're having to, you know convey these emotions and you know not only to the audience but like as yourself and then like to your stage uh fellow stage performers so that they have something to act off of so when you're just so happy that they're like hitting their songs or they're looking so much in their element like I can just (laughs) imagine just not being able to hold back and just be like so happy for them in that moment so happy for like everything as a whole that it's like so successful in these little moments and everything (laughs) I mean obviously every moment but (laughs) so I I think that's really cool and something that uh maybe not maybe you can get away with like when you don't have, like, a, you know, HD camera, like, long distance <laughs> right. aimed right at your face. 
But when you're sitting in the audience and it's dark and it's far away, it's like he can get away with those dad smiles, you know, those, yeah. those like, <laughs> proud moments. He can get away with them, but <laughs> yeah. it's really cool to see that. Yeah. I think, uh, so they, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but they had um, uh, in the floor the revolving circles. Uh, to help mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, conveying movement and time passing and such. And I, I really liked that. I thought that was really cool. And I, I don't recall seeing something uh, quite like that before um, in a live performance. I've only truthfully seen probably two, like, Broadway, three Broadway uh, performances. Um, but... Uh, so this was the first time that I had seen that, I think, with the floors moving like that. And that was really cool. I thought that was just, it worked perfectly with how they, you know, needed to tell the story, how they needed to progress time, or in one case, uh, do a rewind. It gave it a really cool effect and something, you know, it, it allowed them to tell it in the way that they needed to. So that mm-hmm. was really cool. So I th- I think they had amazing timing with their effects amazing just choreography overall um they had a lot of just you know dedicated background dancers and singers uh or vocalists and uh, i think that they did a good job of blending them in the background when they needed to and then ways of obviously bringing them to the front when they needed one or two to play you know like an extra who interacted with a main character and such uh so Mm -hmm. that was really cool and they did a good job with that I was a little surprised um there's so they say shit quite a few times uh-huh. And then I noticed them kind of bleeping themselves for any F-bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was one point where we get to the racy affair stuff where I was like, wow, I'm really surprised Disney let them keep this in. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a whole song Hamilton has with his mistress where they're kind of feeling each other up, and I'm like, wow, Disney really okay this? Right. <laughs> like, oh, I would have thought they'd be like, and cut. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like mosey out over to the next scene. <laughs> yeah, but the first couple of times they said shit, I was like, oh, wow. This is on Disney. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, good for Disney for expanding themselves a little, I guess. Because I was thinking yeah. of them as so prudish. Right. I can't think of anything more. That uh, <laughs> that hasn't been said yet. I mean, there's so many yeah. good things. So <laughs> yeah. Um. Overall, I I think it was a great show. Very different from most musicals. Um, it did have kind of the lame is feel in that it's historical and also has no dialogue. Um, yeah. But I. Lame is is kind of exhausting to watch. <laughs> um, yeah. I didn't think this was exhausting, um, mostly because I was just impressed that people could rap in French accents that fast. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I think even if you didn't want to 
support Disney, I think it's important to watch this because this is something I want to see more of. Just like encouraging this kind of medium being out there because as we said like if this had been a movie musical we wouldn't have been able to see half these talented people do this show mm-hmm they would have gotten fucking Denzel Washington or something in there like <laughs> <laughs> like they who even knows who they'd get just to get butts and seats so I, I think it's important to patronize stuff like this and and give it your support even if it's just watching it on a service you already have because I want to see more stuff like this so I hope people will watch it and hopefully we'll, we'll get to see more talented people actually do the things they're really good at yeah especially because too they can reach so many more people so it's not necessarily um who are they going to be able to uh i guess monetize from you know like Mm -hmm. there's obviously the you know idea of they're able to you know sell performances on like say amazon whatever um so it's not just that that can help broadway but it's also the reach that they have for um, a new audience who might not have ever seen, been able to see a Broadway musical or a local theater production. Uh, So Mm -hmm. like any kid who like maybe their school doesn't have theater or maybe they don't know that they would even be interested in theater because they've never seen it or been exposed to it. Um, So if they're able to see it um, and it is, you know, as this was just a, a recorded performance um and they see you know what it's like to be on stage so it's one thing to see it and think this is a really cool show this is a really cool production but it's another thing to see the live reactions of the performers because I mean you look at them and like whenever they can you know whenever it's not out of character uh you know they can smile you can see their like pure joy of just being able to perform live and feel the immediate um, gratification of, you know, the applause, the the laughter, and, you know, just, like, Mm -hmm. shared energy of uh, the audience. So that, to be able to witness that, um, you know, for, like, you know, kids especially who may not have that opportunity... And they're able to see that and then maybe think to themselves, oh, yeah, maybe maybe I would be interested in that. So they kind of, you know, start, you know, kind of start reaching out maybe more and then maybe they can find, like, a theater program at school or at their, like, local uh, community center. I know there's a lot of, like, community playhouses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's interesting, too. So, they, it, you know, it opens it up um, to reach, uh, you know, kids who may not otherwise have been interested in trying out theater so it's pretty mm-hmm. cool when I also think just like seeing the diversity of this show yeah is gonna mean a lot to kids because mm-hmm. Broadway is very white unfortunately yeah <laughs> it's full of white people and so like you I feel like you grow up and you're watching Les Mis or 
Mamma Mia or shit like that, and it's a group of fucking white people. Why would you be interested in that? So mm-hmm. to see something like this, it's maybe going to spark something in a kid who is going to watch Mamma Mia and not give a shit. But it, you mm-hmm. can see something like this, and it, it shows the, that musical theater isn't just one thing. And it has reach, and it has expansion, and it can be more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. And also, Broadway is closed until 2021. Yeah. And we don't even know what it's going to look like or be after this pandemic's over. So, I hopefully Broadway gets an idea of how they can expand and and reach more people and not be quite as inclusive as they've been in the past. Mm-hmm. Or exclusive, not inclusive. Inclusive is good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, I think this was an a interesting experiment, and I think it worked. So I hope yeah. that, that they kind of take this as a jumping-off point and not just, like, a, a blip. Yeah. So. And, yeah, like, I would... It- Building off of the diversity thing, because we're seeing, um, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson was a white guy. He is not being portrayed by a white guy in the film, or in the stage production. So it's really cool to break that barrier of, oh, well, this is a, you know, white guy he's a real guy, he was a, you know, a historical figure, so to be accurate, we, ne- we need a, a white guy, you know, but it's like, what, what the heck is acting, you know, I'm like, that's what acting is, it's a person acting through, uh, you know, these uh, moments of a real character, you're not there to be the most realistic of anything, you're there to portray you're there to act as, you know, that's why it's called acting, because you are not that person. <laughs> it's like nobody thinks that anybody on stage now is the actual Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, I really enjoyed that to see uh, that they were not um, sticking to um, uh, the original ethnicity of uh, the characters that they were portraying they just cast people who were the best people for it um so i i and in that i think that was uh (laughs) revolutionary huh (laughs) nailed it nailed it (laughs) oh man (laughs) yep (laughs) yeah yeah, absolutely recommend Hamilton. Yeah. If, I'm certain everybody's already watched it, but if you right. somehow haven't, <laughs> get mm-hmm. get someone's Disney Plus login and watch it. <laughs> yeah. So what else are you recommended, Becca? Uh, so I have a couple things. So I have uh, one thing off of Netflix that was uh, just released a few days ago. Uh, so it's called Warrior Nun. Oh, <laughs> and uh, just the title alone is what drew me to it because I was, I I really love it when uh like uh traditionally religious uh like sex and roles and such um 
end up being like badass warriors and not in a super, you know, like conservative, you know, preachy way, but when they're like and any kind of like uh uh like warrior or military sect that's built built out of a like religion pretty much always ends up being super cool. Uh, anybody who's watched Priest <laughs> might agree. <laughs> That's just like another <laughs> really cool uh, vampire fighting apocalyptic world where there are priests who are uh, trained to as uh, vampire hunters and warriors. Uh, but oh, it's course. like, yeah, <laughs> so it's uh, built <laughs> out of a religious uh, sect. Um, so yeah, so this is a uh, warrior nun. Um, so it's uh so broadly um the church the catholic church has um a i guess branch called the OCS I forget what it stands for but they're essentially just demon hunters um so what they do is uh since uh uh so the very original uh warrior nun um who was uh, back at the times of the, I think she came about during the Third Crusade. Um, she uh, was uh, a really fierce warrior. She was uh, very into the church and such. And uh, she was, like, working, you know, directly, like, through God's messages. And uh, she was uh, mortally wounded on the battlefield. And as she lay dying, um, the angel... Adriel, uh, Angel Adriel, I definitely just mushed both of those words together. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Adriel came down, and he gave to her his halo. And uh, through that, she was able to survive and uh, uh, recover from her wounds. And she became a very, even more powerful uh, warrior. She got essentially some superpowers because she uh, uh, is possessing uh, Angel's halo, and the halo the halo is embedded in her uh, back, so it's a, a small metallic circle um, that rests just beneath the skin on her back. Um, so uh as it as the story goes um the tradition of the warrior nun continued and so uh uh halo or not uh women were trained uh to deal to uh fight uh demons uh so uh there's a specific warrior that gets uh elected essentially chosen um every uh like few years or so or whenever the current one dies and they need a successor um the halo gets uh passed on to the next chosen uh nun and she becomes known as the halo bearer um so this uh era specifically that we're following now today um a new uh warrior nun is chosen but not out of the group of uh, uh, warrior nuns that exist. So the current uh, halo bearer gets mortally wounded in an attack 
and her halo gets removed so that they can, you know, keep it safe and, you know, uh, transport it and give it to the next in line. However, something crazy happens and it ends up going into um, a girl who uh, has just died. So she just died that day. She's in the, the crypt uh, getting ready for, you know, being prepared for burial and that and such. And so she's brought back to life because of the halo. Uh, so now she's uh, un unrelated to the church. Nobody knows her. Uh, now, she, you know, she was dead and now she wakes up all freaked out. And uh, she has these powers that she doesn't understand, so she's having to deal with that. Um, and meanwhile, uh, the nuns, the warrior nuns, are trying to track her down because she has this powerful weapon, essentially, uh, that's supposed to go to one of them and not to a complete stranger. <laughs> um, so it's pretty cool. I... I really enjoyed this. Like, just by the trailer alone, I was really hoping I was going to like this, and it wasn't going to feel like a young adult series and be corny or bad writing or anything. Um, I've been burned many a times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this, and this is one of the rare uh, TV shows on Netflix where... Uh, I'm watching this uh, with my boyfriend, and he's, like, just as into it. And, you know, we're watching it together, and we're just, ah, at the screen every time there's a cliffhanger or just any cool moment happens. Uh, so I'll try not to build it up too much because I don't want to do that thing of building it up and then expectations are too high. Um, I just will say the writing is done very well. Everything feels meaningful like nothing feels filler um this isn't yeah this isn't lazy writing by any means and these are uh really interesting uh like plot points that are happening um there are um a nice decent amount of characters um to like flip back and forth between they're all it's very rarely are the characters separated there's like a few that are typically together and then uh um, the Halo Bearer, the new girl, uh, often is on her own, and there's another character that's often on her own, but um, it's never for too long, so it, you, we don't have, like, a Game of Thrones vibe of, when will they ever get back together? Um, so it's it all feels very cohesive, and everything, all the characters uh, blend well together, uh, both written very well so that they have great chemistry and great storylines um and also uh i would say the cast is like spot on uh so they do uh an awesome job with portraying these characters um that are large you know for the most part uh, almost all of them are uh young women um i think the main girl's character is about 17 18 I think she's, like, just about to turn 18. Um, and then all the others are either, you know, 17 or maybe 20s. Um, but they're all, like, very mature because they've had to grow up in this world of, you know, being warrior nuns. And they've seen a lot of shit because they've had to uh, fight demons uh, for the majority of their lives um, and deal with very serious dangers. So 
it's very, very cool to watch, and I think it's got a lot of great action sequences, uh, really cool um, hand-to-hand combat scenes. Um, it's very, we, we get a little bit of political edge because uh, we're seeing, you know, because this is a religious-based military, essentially, uh, there's the, you know, the game of politics, you know, when it comes to, like, the Vatican, the Cardinal, the Pope, uh, and all that, and we see that maybe one or two people are uh, kind of vying for power versus what's best for the world and the church and such. Um, so we get a little bit of political intrigue. Um, but it's really cool. There's some mystery element. Uh, you get that a little bit of sci-fi vibe, a bit of supernatural vibe. Uh, so it's definitely a really cool watch. Um, I think there's 10 episodes total in this first season. Um, and the episodes are, I think, just shy of an hour. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Hmm. So definitely suggest checking that out. I just, like, automatically assumed that was some sort of, like, cheesy B-movie thing. Right. That's what like I thought, you, too. <laughs> you hear Warrior Nun and you think, like... <laughs> just like the a nun, but her somehow her tits are out, and she's got so, a sword, and <laughs> like. <laughs> so you're not far off from what oh. this is very, very <laughs> loosely based on. No, no, no. There's there's none of that in the show. None of that in oh. the show. Everybody is fully clothed, and this is mature, and this is there is no fan service in this, <laughs> aside from just amazing writing and stuff. But uh, there's no, like, titties out shit. <laughs> um, this is not your Game of Thrones fan service. <laughs> but I, I will say, so I looked up, I was like, is this based on a book or something? Uh, so this is apparently, and I haven't, like, a thousand percent confirmed this. This was just, like, a, a Google search. But this is apparently very, very loosely based on a American manga series by the same name and that is definitely the sexy ninja warrior nun <laughs> that it sounds like. Oh. Um, I, I was like, oh, I kind of hope this is based on a book because I might read it like after the series, you know, after the season. <laughs> and I was like, I'm definitely not reading these. <laughs> so <laughs> this is one where I'm so happy they strayed from the book. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Very cool. uh, and then so the other thing uh, that I'm uh, partway done watching um, is uh, uh, on Disney Plus. Uh, they did a making of for Frozen Two. Uh, so, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously I wasn't the biggest fan of Frozen Two, but I really like the making of, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, because obviously I watched the Mandalorian one, I've seen uh, uh, the mm, the Star Wars one. Uh, so this, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, so what this docuseries is, it's set um, a year from, uh, a year leading up to the pr- world premiere. So uh, we start off with 12 months to premiere. And it just follows the uh, entire crew uh, from 
the beginning of that year to the world premiere. Um, so I haven't finished it. I think there's six episodes, and I just finished um, episode three. Um, so it was... I, I'm really enjoying it. There's so much about the process of making an animation like Frozen that we just take for granted as, yeah, they should be able to do this, or yeah, it should be easier. Oh, I kind of wish they had, like, I, I don't know, maybe been more colorful and did more special effects in this moment or whatever. So when it gets to any bit that's talking about how complicated the animation process is and how many people they have working on it, it really just gives you a whole new appreciation for any 3D animated film that you watch from that point on. It's amazing. Um, and the, uh, the songwriting process was really cool, but also, like, just agonizing because of <laughs> all the, the rewrites and all the struggles that they were having with uh, trying to figure out what the what the t what the drive of Frozen 2 was because up and so it had been something that they started technically 3 years from the world premiere um but I'm not sure when in that time they actually like broke you know broke ground on it but to completely write a brand new soundtrack, especially following the hit of Let It Go, was just very daunting to uh, the original uh, songwriters. Um, so it was a, it was really cool, but also like very stressed. You, you're seeing them being very stressed and very emotional <laughs> during all this uh, because there's just so much that they have to like. Uh, just kind of like um, build up to and uh, live up to. Uh, so uh, it was really eye-opening to like see all that um, and see all the uh, um, like polite business, you know, like disagreements that they would have with the writers, that the writer would have with them. Because it wasn't like, uh, oh, you need to do better, or oh, this sucks or whatever. It was them just trying to figure out uh, like, where the story was going and what bits they needed to hit with these songs and what was following them and what was preceding them in the story. And uh, sometimes it just wouldn't add up and they just had to go back to the drawing board on both sides. And sometimes it would just click and you didn't really hear much about it in the docuseries because it worked. <laughs> um, so we definitely see a lot more of what doesn't work in the doc in the series uh versus you know them spending a lot of time on the bits that did work really well um mostly because i think you know like the drama and the intensity of you know when things aren't going well obviously sells a little bit better but uh it's also i i think very important to show that you know these this process that they go through as creators is not an easy point A to point B. It's very, very jagged and bumpy, and you make a lot of heartbreaking cuts and uh, just devastatingly long rewrites. Um, mm -hmm. 
so it was uh it was really cool and I really appreciated uh that they filmed that and that they were willing to share that process with the public um so mm-hmm. it was it was really cool uh so I definitely recommend checking that out for anybody who wants to see the behind the scenes process of uh Frozen 2 definitely go check it out uh, it's called Into the Unknown the Making of Frozen 2 Cool. And that's it for me. Alright. So, um, I am partway through this show called Prodigal Son. Um, it's on Hulu, and it stars, um, Michael Sheen. Mm hmm. And he is, um, a serial killer. He it actually follows his son, who's played by a guy I don't recognize. Um, and he, the son, when he was like ten, his dad get got taken away because the son actually called the cops um, <clears throat> on his dad because he saw something in the basement, and so he called the cops on his dad. Turns out his dad had killed twenty three women or people, Ooh. not necessarily women. Um, he had killed 23 people. And so he got nicknamed the surgeon because he was actually a surgeon in real life, but he was very, like, clinical with his murders and he knew exactly, like, where to cut or, yeah, all that fun, gross stuff. He knew how to do that because he was a surgeon. Um, and so anyway, so it's when the son is now grown up, he starts... Um, he's a profiler for the FBI, um, but then he gets fired, so he starts working for the NYPD solving murders, and, uh, eventually he has to go and talk with his dad, who's in, um, he pled insanity, so he's actually in, like, more of a mental institution prison than just a full-on prison, um, and... So it's kind of a mix between, like, each episode is its own standalone case, but then there's also, like, the overarching stuff going on. Because, like, uh, the main character is pretty sure that he's missing time from when he was a kid. And Mm. he keeps having these, like, very intense night terrors to the point where he has to be chained he has leather handcuffs and he cuffs himself to his bed at night because otherwise he'll, like, hurt himself. Um, but he can't, he takes pills, but he can't take sleeping pills because if he takes sleeping pills, it's like he's trapped in his nightmares and he'd rather be able to wake up, but that means he, like, barely sleeps. So yeah, it's a really interesting show. It, It has sort of a Hannibal Lecter vibe to it if Hannibal Lecter had had a son that he fucked up. (laughs) Um, Because there's that whole going to see a serial killer in prison to get his uh, input on current cases idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the um, the acting, I mean, Michael Sheen's great in it. Um, He seems to really enjoy playing a psychopath. Um, so he, he is great. The main character was pretty good as well. 
Um, some of the side characters are, uh, eh. <laughs> um, <laughs> especially that there's a the girl who plays his sister is is a little cringy to watch on occasion. Um, she kind of feels like she wandered in from a CW show sometimes. Mm. Um, that's kind of the caliber of acting. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, really interesting show. I'm about 12 episodes in. The first season had about 20. Um, but so far I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I believe it got renewed for a second season, but the second season, as far as I know, hasn't started yet. But yeah, um, if you like serial killer stuff, um, it, it does get kind of creepy, there is some violence and stuff, and you see dead bodies, um, it's not as, uh, I don't know, I don't know what people, like, <laughs> I don't know what to compare it to as, like, as far as thresholds for grossness goes, um, but yeah, uh, if, it might be too much for some people, I'd say, but it it's not as as bad as because I, I I believe it's a Fox show, like it airs on Fox, so it is can't a be, network can't be that show. bad then yeah mm-hmm. and and like I watched the the TV show Hannibal, which I believe was on NBC, but like with Hannibal they they really pushed the limit on what shit they could show on that network television. So if you could uh. handle Hannibal, you could definitely handle this show. Um, uh. I, yeah. So, it, just a, a fair warning, because it does get, it, it's serial killer stuff and dead bodies and all that, so that's gonna weird you out. I wouldn't recommend it for you, but I was watching it with my mom, so take that as you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then the other thing I watched is also on Hulu, and it's called Love, Victor. And it is the um, a sequel show to the movie that came out a couple of years ago called Love, Simon. Um, and Love, Simon was about uh, a high school kid. They, they have this, um, like, group uh, posting board online where they, um, this is called, like, Creekwood Secrets, and people basically post shit about their classmates, like, oh, I saw Tiffany kissing Jason behind the gym, shit like Mm. that, um, and somebody posts an anonymous, ooh, I can't speak, an anonymous letter saying that he's gay, and that he doesn't feel comfortable, like, coming out to anybody, and he, how, like, shitty that is, basically. And Simon, the main character, is also gay, and starts writing this guy letters, because he's like, I also don't know how to come out to everybody. Um, so yeah, it was a really cute movie from, like, 2017-ish, and then they decided to do a sequel series where, um, in this show, Victor has just moved to the same school um, that Simon went to. Simon's already gone off to college at this point, and he gets told about Simon because there was this whole big love thing with the Ferris wheel, and it's kind of like a school urban myth at this point. So he gets told about that 
And so he messages Simon, like, kind of like, fuck you and your fairy tale ending, because not everybody gets that, and, um, he and Simon kind of become, like, pen pals. It's not, like, romantic, but it's, it's just like, hey, I'm a gay kid who doesn't know what the fuck I'm doing, can you help me, um, kind of thing. So yeah, it was, it's very cute. Um, I believe it was originally supposed to be on Disney+, Plus, but then Disney kind of got cold feet with the whole gay thing, so they dumped it on Hulu. Mm. Um, but, or I, I think their reasoning was it had too many mature themes for Disney+, Plus, but then they got Hamilton out here having affairs and saying shit, so who knows. <laughs> but, <laughs> um... But yeah, it does seem like the kind of show that was meant for Disney and that it's a little uh, twee, I would say. A little saccharine. Um, it's very high school in like everybody's bad because their crush is talking to somebody else, you know, like that kind of shit. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it's cute. The, the acting's pretty decent in it. Um, I think the, the best episode for me was actually uh, Victor, the main character, goes to New York City where Simon and his boyfriend now live. And so you get to see him interact with them. And that was probably the, the best episode for me. Because you got cool. to see him hang out with college kids so they're a little more adult. And so it's a little <laughs> less my boyfriend won't do more than hold my hand, like, <laughs> shit like that, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because the main character is Hispanic, and so he comes from a very religious Hispanic family, mm-hmm. um, and the, the family had to move because of an affair, so the parents are kind of going through some shit, um, mm-hmm. And, so yeah, it had a lot of, of interesting stuff going on. I, it just felt like it was handled, it, it, it felt like more than some other media I consume, it felt like it wasn't directed at me, which is fair enough, because I'm not a high school gay boy, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> just in general, like, it, it there's some media that feels like anybody can enjoy it, and this felt a little, I don't know. It was very specific, very, very targeted in a good way. Like, they were, they were definitely, yeah. it, sound, it sounds like they were definitely trying more to appeal to a very specific group versus uh, anybody. Yeah. And, like, I... Like, I've watched Riverdale. Like, I have no problem consuming media that's meant for teens. Mm-hmm. But I guess with Riverdale, like, it's so over-the-top and stupid <laughs> that, like, <laughs> I kind of expect it to be immature. And I, I guess with this, because I did, I enjoyed the movie, so I, I was, I guess I was expecting it to, I don't know speak to me a little bit more than it did, which isn't very fair. <laughs> I don't know. I was just watching it, and I'm like, this is fine. But, uh, 
but it, it, it's a it's a sweet little show. It's only ten episodes long, so I finished it all in a day. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I would I would still recommend it. I just don't think it's like, the, uh, like the representation's great, and I I like the that that's out there. But I think there's as an adult, there's better media that you could sure. consume. So yeah, so yeah. I mean, if you're looking for something a little light and and a little maybe on the the fluffy side. It, it it's a sweet little show, but it 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 didn't feel substantial in any sort of way, you know. Like it it didn't feel like it had anything really new to say. Yeah. So. And I mean, fair oh. enough. It's a sequel series, but yeah. Yeah. Kind of sounds like more of a anecdote <laughs> versus yeah. like an actual, like, plotted film with ups and downs. I mean, I'm sure there's probably ups and downs, but if it's yeah. coming off as, like, plainly and bland as uh, it sounds, then it yeah. just sounds more like That's a good word for events. it. Yeah. Bland is a pretty good word for it, because there's not... Uh, like, there's never... The, the challenges they face feel very, like, base level, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like well, how do I tell my girlfriend that I'm gay or this girl yeah. won't go out with me because she uh, thinks I'm weird. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just... Yeah, no, yeah. I, I get it. I, I definitely <laughs> get that. So, I mean, it, if you're... If you're an adult and you were looking for something with some good, like, LGBTQ representation... I, I this wouldn't be the first thing I recommend, but maybe after you've watched 10, 20 other things, sure, sit down mm-hmm. and watch Love, Victor. <laughs> yeah. If you just want something kind of mind-numbing and sweet, but also has representation, then sure. <laughs> yeah. so. Also, speaking of representation and just selling Warrior Nun a little bit more subtly, there's some LGBTQ uh, representation in there. Uh, oh, cool. There's also uh, the uh, uh, I hope I am getting her title correct. So if I'm not, I apologize. Uh, but uh, there was a Victoria's Secret model who was the first, I believe, transsexual uh, model uh, to walk the runway, um, and she uh, plays a like a, a side character in uh, this series. So that was pretty cool. Um, and also there are some, uh, uh, queer stories in this as well, so some appeal for that. Nice. Yeah. Sell it, sell it, sell it. <laughs> Go watch it. <laughs> You're gonna make me watch this thing, aren't you? God damn it. <laughs> and that's all I've got, so there you go. Serial killers and... <laughs> high school. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> <myself>. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's the show. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> We're so awkward. <laughs>